Welcome to ConExpo ConAg Radio, where we bring you boots on the ground perspectives from construction business owners and industry experts about their successes, challenges, and whatever else is on their minds. Consider them your own personal mentors on technology implementation, equipment solutions, business management, and more, enabling you to apply their expertise to your business. Held every three years in Las Vegas, ConExpo ConAg is North America's largest construction trade show. For even more ways to connect with the industry, visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect. We've got another great guest on the show today, so let's dig in. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Contractor Conversations on ConExpo ConAg Radio. I'm your host, Missy Sherber. We'd love to learn more about you, our listeners, so we can better align our future episodes to your wants and your needs please take our short survey at conexpoconag.com slash radio survey by May 31st, 2021 for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Joining us today is Randy Blunt, president of Blunt Contracting based in Arizona. Randy grew up around the construction industry, helping at his family's business during high school and college. When his dad received a cancer diagnosis, Randy was thrust into a leadership role at a very young age. Now, 10 years later, we're getting the scoop on how far the company has come and what's in store for the next 10 years. Well, Randy, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So we shared a small preview of your background, but for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit more about growing up around the family business and how that has led to your role today. I think, you know, there's probably you know, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people across America who can relate to, you know, my experience. My father worked in the industry, was a general superintendent, superintendent most of my life. And so it's probably frowned on today, but at the time it's pretty normal. I, I was in the field with my dad in the summers, probably as early as 12. Um, you know, I think my mom probably just needed to get rid of me because I was a boy and into a lot of trouble. And so <laughs> um, you know, started grade checking and I think I may have mentioned this on the Billwit podcast, but I, I thought I knew how to, you know, drive a water truck or dr- drive a manual transmission. Cause I learned on a water truck and turns out that's different than a, than a manual transmission. So, um, you know, some of the things that are really cool about that is like, I have such an appreciation for the guy who's at the end of a shovel, like yep. my, my dad, he really wanted me to earn that, you know, like not only did he want me to work in the field, but he wanted to make sure that I had to work harder than everybody else. Yeah. So, you know, I needed to move more dirt with the shovel than anybody else faster. And, um, and so lots of respect for the, the guys that are on the ground. I learned to grade check and read plans at a really early age. And that's been like a huge asset as I, do plan reviews and constructability, I can really visualize what do plans mean and see issues really quickly. Yep. yep. So that was, that was fun. Um, I also got to see kind of like the industry, it's matured a little bit, you know, um, like my dad was in job site fights and it, it was kind of normal, believe it or not, like it happened quite a bit. And so, you know, interpersonal communication, I think, has improved. It's, it's got ways, you know, a way to go. But um, so early on around the industry, uh, graduated high school at 17, worked with my 
father for about a year, helping him estimate and at, in the evenings and put together change orders and billings um, with my mom. And then during the days in the summer and for about a year, I worked in the field. And then I decided to go do a mission for my church. And I went on a mission for two years. Awesome. And um, it was a great experience. Learned so much, like huge, invaluable skills there. One of which was just, I, I got to serve uh, in, a, in another country. So a ton of respect for America and what we do well. And, and also I got to see what other countries do well. Came home and went to co started college and was working with my father. Kind of the thought was I was going to go to college and help him grow the business, you know, during that four or five years while I was at college. And then um, he got sick. Um, I think it was, I was 21. It was just before 22. He got sick. He ended up getting cancer and, you know, he fought cancer for about 26 years and then actually beat cancer. But, but I often say cancer took his life because his health was just never the same afterwards. Yeah. He ended up having a heart attack, passed away when I was 26. And so wow. my thought of uh, my degree is in agribusiness finance of all things. <laughs> it's funny when, you, when, we're in, <laughs> when we're in job, you know, job introductions or, you know, uh, when I'm in with my peers and some type of group with owners or executives and it's, you know, all construction majors for the most part. And then it's me, agribusiness, finance, and probably always get some funny looks, but I got my construction education from the field and I got my finance education from school and it's been a really good mix for me. Yeah. Um, so at 26, when I was in a position to take over the business, it was scary, like really scary because my mom's entire retirement was in the business, but I feel wow. like I was, I don't know if well-equipped, but I had some really good basics that I could build off of. And then I just made a ton of mistakes learned from them and didn't give up. So that's probably, so you're not the only one that has led young and made mistakes. <laughs> no, not at all. Like if, and if you think you're going to do, if you think you're going to start a business and not make mistakes, you are terribly mistaken. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a part of the journey and the process. It's, it's learning how to embrace those and learn from them. And then be forgiving and willing to let others make similar mistakes so that they can grow. I think it's so. so that's awesome. probably the re Reader's Digest. Of yeah, no, I think it's fantastic that you're bringing up the point of embracing mistakes, embracing the pain, and, and make it part of the journey. I think there is this unrealistic perception um, when you are a young leader and when you do start a business. Um, that it's just going to be, you know, hard, but simple. And it's just not, but those are your greatest. I mean, our mistakes have been our greatest source, source of strength. And it sounds like it's been the same for you. Just in life in general, when you make a mistake and most often the biggest mistakes are the ones you learn the most from because the consequence is real. And you're like, I don't want to go through that again. And so I was, my dad was alive. I remember he was sick and, um, and so he wasn't doing a whole lot in the business, but we, we needed to get paid from this job. And he said, you need to write a letter to this company. We need to get paid from them, like right away. We're, we're due this money and they've been paid by the owner. So go take care of it. 20 something year old writing a letter to a president of a company at the time that was doing about, I think about 150 million a year. So not a small company. Wow. And, uh, man, I missed the tone so bad. Like it was, it was very <laughs> threatening email. 
Like I just, <laughs> I thought I was like, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I'm going to go get this money. And I'll never forget. I, I had to go into that executive's office and just like put my tail between my legs because I was just so off in that tone, the tone of my email and it was handled so wrong. Yeah. And I'll never forget. He told me, he said, if you ever have to write an email like this, pick up the phone and talk to somebody first. Yes. And so it's just stuck with me. Like there's, there is this email is a very efficient tool, but most of those tough conversations never go well over email. And, they and never just- do. And I think they're easy to, you know, misunderstand. We, you know, almost lost one of our biggest clients due to me feeling like instead of collecting money and continuing to build a relationship that I was like a collections agent, you know, and a police officer (laughs) trying to get our money and get paid. And as a contractor, every penny matters, right? So you, you want to go after it, but yeah, I, I had the wrong tone and had to do kind of a similar situation, but I learned so much from that moment of, like you said, having to go and apologize. And then they end up mentoring me through having difficult conversations. <laughs> it's like, <Yeah>. geez, <laughs> they don't, they don't give you that class in construction 101 or do they, they don't like how to collect money properly. And I think you just, you know, brought up a great idea uh, for a workshop for Connexpo 2023. So I really spent a lot of time listening to your interview with Aaron Witt of Build Wit. And I really want to encourage our listeners to go listen to that because you really, for an hour, you dove into your story, the details of your story going, you know, from a young leader to a growing company and growing the business significantly, which we'll talk about in a minute here, and then eventually being acquired by a larger company. And I just, I loved the way you told your story on that interview and Aaron did such a fantastic job kind of painting a picture of how you've handled, you know, the last years as a leader to, but there were some big takeaways for me from that interview. And I was hoping today that we could focus our time on some of the takeaways and question the, the further questions I had from listening to that interview. And that's starting with you being a leader at such a young age. I think a lot of our listeners can identify with that. And this is kind of a loaded question and a big question, but, you know, knowing the lessons and mistakes, how do you lead young well? What are some tips you would give young leaders? One big one you just gave that is very important is, you know, be aware of your tone when you're collecting money from clients, (laughs) but, you know, how do you lead young well? And, And this is, this is something I want you to talk about because, I don't want to see young business owners come into this industry, I'll gun, you know, gung ho and then get burned out and get burned. So tell me about that season. You became a young leader. You had naysayers. What's this young guy going to do? So many of us can relate to that. How do we, how do we manage that season of leadership? Well, it's funny. Like I've always looked a little bit older <laughs> and uh, like so much so that my, my mom loves it because there's been several times I've been pegged as her husband. You're funny. And so it's funny how, when you're young, you don't want anybody to know, like, I, I can't tell you how many meetings I was in that somebody said, how old are you? And I'd say, well, what do you think? I'd say, I don't know, mid thirties. And at the time I'm like my early twenties. I'm like, yeah, close enough, close enough. And kind of just left it at that because we're so worried that because we're young, there's no respect. Right. Right. I would think, a few things. One, 
if you're growing a construction business, most of us come from a place of loving the work. Yep. We, we love grading or laying pipe or, or whatever that trade is that you love. And so that's why you're usually there. Um, and then you're trying to make a, a good living for your family doing it and for your employees. Don't be afraid to be well-read or in the case of many of us contractors, well-listen, right? Like put on a, put on an audio book while you're driving that 45 minutes every day to and from a job site or an hour and learn from some of the great business leaders and say like, how do I apply this? I know Jim Collins, for example, he has yes. this book, Great by Choice, yes. still among one of my favorites. And, um, you know, I read that and he talked about developing a hedgehog concept. Yes. The idea there is, you know, find something you're passionate about, find something that you can be world-class at and that drives your economic engine. And then just go do that. And I think we may even talked about this with Aaron, but so often in those early days as a leader, we're so focused on revenue. Like how do I get more work that it hurts us sometimes. And, and, you know, this, this isn't, this podcast isn't long enough to go through why that can hurt us, but, you know, growing revenue quickly with retainage, um, with collections, like even just that alone can create cash flow problems that often lead to making poor decisions, right? Instead of saying like, this is where I fit best. The decision is how do I collect money and how do I fix this cash problem? Hey, I'll take a 10% discount to get paid early. Well, industry statistics say most of us are making between five and 10% when it's all said and done. Yeah. So, so sometimes um, we make bad decisions. So I'd say one is be uh, well-read, listen to some people. If you haven't listened to that, that book by Jim Collins, great by choice, um, extreme ownership by um, Jocko, that great book. Um, one that I really love, I think I put this on that survey is um, it's called leadership and self-deception. Yeah. That, I had never heard of that book. Tell me oh. about uh, that one. So it's, it's great. There's two, there's two in there. It's from the Arbiter Institute. One's leadership and self-deception and one is um, anatomy of peace. So I would say, go listen to leadership and self-deception. Maybe we follow up in a, in a few, in a few months and just talk about it, but let's do it. <laughs> the idea here is that as leaders, often we, we are deceived a little bit of ourselves. We, mm. we don't see our blind spots, our weaknesses. Um, we like, we'll, we'll put ourselves in these boxes where we think, and, and I, I think I can give a good example of this. There's, there's an idea called the, the better than box, right? Where we think that we're better than somebody for some reason. And it sounds like, no, we don't do that. But then you start looking at, um, for example, an in industry, um, somebody who's a little bit older instantly thinks that somebody who's younger's ideas aren't good, right? Because yeah. we're better than them because we have more years of experience. And man, some of the best ideas have come from new perspective, right? Like come from that guy who is early in the crew and he hasn't laid pipe forever. And he, and he makes, maybe ask the question like, Hey, uh, I don't know. Why do we do it this way? Like, couldn't we do it? Couldn't we do it that way? And you're like, yeah, we totally could. And that'd be faster and better. Why why don't we? 
so I'm, I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, but um, I think be well read and apply those lessons is, is a really good way to, you know, make it through young leadership. Yeah. We talked about this, Missy, you're probably better at this than most men are, but men, I talked about this on Aaron's podcast a little bit, but men, we're just bad at talking to people. Yeah. Being a business owner is tough. Like it's a lonely spot. Very just like the guys who are running the jobs or making mistakes, you are too. But you feel like if you admit that or you talk to anybody about that, you're weak. And men, we don't like to be seen as weak, right? It's, it's just this inherent quality that's in our DNA. Yeah. No, but we don't want anyone to see us as weak. And so the fact that you don't have it all figured out or the fact that you're having a tough day, you don't want anybody to know. So I'd say another one is, is find somebody that can mentor you. There's plenty of people in this industry. I mean, you mentioned the person that you had had that tough conversation with mentored you. There's plenty of people who are in their mid fifties who are at a point in their career where they want to do something more than just build and, and, and make a living. And they want to have an impact on the industry and just try and say like, you know, it can be very informal, but man, Hey, I would love to have somebody to, to teach me some stuff. Usually it's flattering. And most of those individuals will have no problem doing it. Yeah. Like we, we put together a board, it just, it was an advisory board for our company. We weren't a big company, you know, we were doing about 30 million a year. So kind of mid-sized company. Yeah. We had two previous CEOs of multi-million dollar companies. We had a uh, vice president of a multi-billion dollar company that were willing to sit. And it was just that it was like, Hey, I'm young in the industry. You guys respect you guys a lot. Would you, is this something you'd be willing to do? We did pay them for their time, but it was not a lot of money. And, and one of them actually just said, Hey, instead of paying me, will you just donate what, what you would pay me to my charity? Wow. And so worked out great. And then, then you kind of have just a sounding board. Yeah. I think you're bringing up such an important point for, you know, men and women leadership is very lonely place and, you know, you struggle to share your failures and your mistakes because you don't want to be, like you said, seen as weak or incompetent, or maybe we're not the right ones for the job, but it's so important to have what we're trying to develop is just mentors and coaches in our corner that we can have those candid conversations with of, you know, and, and obviously I have an easy, like you said, I have an easier time doing that than Trevor. He's like, you know, we'll go into a mentorship meeting with our yeah. mentor. And, and he's like, don't, don't bring that up. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, we have to, it, it, it's safe here, you know, to, to be open. And I loved how you talked about that on Aaron's podcast. I think you, that was a really packed answer. One, the first thing you brought up was to be niche. And I think a lot of con and the hedgehog concept from great by choice, the book by Jim Collins, we just read good to great. Yeah. Um, great by choice was going to be my next one, but I'm fascinated by the other one you recommended on leadership and what was that? Yes. Leadership and self-deception. Like that's interesting because it would be valuable to see our blind spots, but tell me a little more about being niche because I know we struggled with this when we first started and a lot of contractors do, you just, you take all the work and you're all over the place and you're doing so many things and, and you scaled the company from 10 to 12 million to 30 million by making this aggressive choice to be niche and this hedgehog concept of 
finding those few things that you do world-class. So I want to talk about your three answers a little bit more in detail. Let's talk about that one first. Tell me about that decision. Why did you decide, you know, to go for this hedgehog concept that you're speaking of? Some of it was rooted in this, um, as, as I, you know, have a finance background, as I look at the margins we were making, they just weren't enough. And and I I know that sounds like, well, duh, everyone wants to make more money, but, but it was more than that. It was like, it's not enough for the fact that there is an extreme amount of risk in construction. You know, the the industry was okay with, like I said, most, most surveys show subcontractors can be between five and 10%. Um, margin after everything right you know not not just gross margin on job but after you apply overhead and taxes and interest expense and i was just like man this this isn't enough and so it's not enough it's not i mean hard (laughs) it's it's hard and then it's also like well no wonder we always talk about we need to be better at mentoring and training we we just don't make enough to really invest in it like i mean there's always that that saying that people say is, well, you know, don't invest in your people. And, 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 you know, that's, that's the worst place to be, but anybody who's really in the contra- the contracting industry will tell you like finding the time and capital to do that is just extremely hard. So we all do it a little bit, but we could all do it so much better. So, so that was kind of the catalyst. Like how do we make more so we can be better? Yeah. Um, and we just started looking at um, stuff like what type of jobs do we make the most money on? And, and that brings up another conversation. It just it can maybe a plug for build with, you know, I'm an advisor there and we're working on some of these, you know, a leadership for these small to mid-sized companies to, to learn some of these things. So awesome. um, be on the lookout for that here. Hopefully July, August, you'll see some stuff coming out on that. But, you know, we started looking at stuff like, is there a certain type of project that we're more profitable on? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we do data center work. Do we make more money on data center work? We do multifamily. Do we make more money there? And is there a trend? And, and so one is like, what type of work do we make money, more money on? Um, is there a different type of delivery method? You know, is there a, more of a hard bid approach where we do well, or is it more of the negotiated work or, design build work and then there's the scope as well and so you know we 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 talked about on on his podcast but we kind of had stepped away from utilities because at the time there was so much competition and more risk and more headaches like we we joked that 80 percent of our headaches at that time were coming from utilities and they were only making up for about three percent of our profit oh interesting why, why are we doing this? Yeah. Um, since then we've, we've kind of created a hedgehog concept just for utilities on like, okay, when do, when do we do best on utility work? And so we still do do it. Um, it's just much more focused. Got it. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the first thing is trying to look back and say, where have I been successful? What types of jobs? And, and you need to do that on a regular basis because if you're starting out and you're new, you may not have, enough data to say, all right, this is our hedgehog concept, but start that process of where are we, where are we good? And then I think 
knowing what drives your economic engine is, is, you know, part of it, but then also where are you passionate? So For sure. uh, we talked about how, how we, we really like geotechnical work, contracting where you're doing something with the soil, whether it's uh, earth retention systems, shoring or foundations or tunneling. We really like that because there's a, a problem to be solved and you yeah. get to participate in that. Yeah. But you you know, your the makeup and the DNA of your company needs to be that way. Like there's some guys who just really love to move dirt and they can move it fast and efficiently. And that's their hedgehog concept. We're going to move dirt faster and more efficiently than anybody else. And that's really cool. And I, I you know, you see some of those jobs and you're like, man, that's a great company. And they, they got it figured out. So, yeah. uh, so the big guess- takeaway I'm hearing from you in this is, you know, for, for, for those that are just starting, you know, especially when you're young. So we're just diving into job costing now at seven years. And I'm like, I wish we would have started doing this years ago, you know, in the early years, focus on your passion, but also watch the profitability because sometimes your passion will lead you maybe astray a little bit, you know, or, or into too many different directions. So one, what are you passionate about? But two, don't ignore what's profitable. Um, I think that's great advice. I also think being well-read is important, like you said, but then talking to other people, what an important, you know, thing that you're bringing up and and the plug for build wet is welcomed and appreciated and excited because, you know, Trevor and I have been talking and just like, who is here to help us? Like who's here to help us lead and to lead well, a construction company, because it's so different you know, and is it always going to be the school hard knocks for us? It's kind of been our question. <laughs> it, it should. I mean, definitely the hard knocks are good because they, they give you that experience that for sure, but yes, we're, we're working at, you know, making the dirt world a better place. Uh, I love that. Way. I love it. One of, Another thing you brought up was your mother. And I think that's an important thing to talk about her role because, you know, I'm a big believer in one of the ways that we do make the dirt world a better place is through diversity. And tapping into half the population during this labor shortage and really focusing on women in leadership roles on site and behind the scenes and and giving both those roles value. So tell me quick about your mother's role at the company, you know, how critical was it? How, how did she lead, you know, behind the scenes? Yeah. Well, real quick, just a plug for women in construction. I have three daughters, so I I have one son and three daughters. And it's interesting, the perspective that's given me, my, my oldest daughter is just very mature, assertive, and it kind of has that leadership ability. Just, it's just natural for her. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, a, a young man who might be wired that way is instantly kind of pegged as a leader and in her case, you know, you hear things like bossy and it's, it's just interesting how maybe sometimes in construction, if, if we're being super honest with ourselves, sometimes we let that kind of that stigma stick with women where a, a woman is great at her job, but for some reason we feel like instead of saying she's an awesome leader or a project manager or whatever, we might say, man, she's real bossy or whatever, you know? Yeah. So we do have some maturing to do there. I think, and Missy, you can speak to this probably better than me, but I think we're coming, we're moving in the right direction. We're seeing yes. progress there and that's exciting. Um, so my mom, she, you know, she started, you know, 
in the background doing, you know, uh, bookkeeping and helping with change orders and um, the regulatory side of the business. She's, she's never necessarily been the one who's always out there in the field doing the work, but yep. she, she, she's got this, and this is where she's been so valuable. We always talk about, you know, you've probably kind of heard this, but there's kind of this field versus office mentality in most companies. Yeah. And uh, she's always been able to remind everybody, those guys out there who are working, everything we do in the office is for them. Yeah. Like it's all about us making their lives easier because they're the ones that are driving an hour to the jobs. There's the ones that are starting at four in the morning. And ultimately they're the ones that are making or losing us money. Really, you know, 75% of most construction companies costs are occurred in the field. So she's been so great at that. Um, And then she's become just this Jack of all trades. She's actually going to retire this year. So it's exciting. We're, we're excited to let her kind of sunset into that new part of her life. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, everyone will tell you she, she's kind of the, the, the like the answer to, to any question. She's, you know, a specialist of nothing but knower of all. <laughs> yeah, that's so. And I'm so glad you're bringing that up because, you know, a company as successful as Blunt and that you've, you know, been acquired. It's, it's amazing to hear there's a woman behind the scenes who, built a, a strong team to serve and support, you know, your field teams that, that got it there. And I think it's so important that we tell those stories, you know, yes. that, that women who lead behind the scenes and in the field, they can create powerful companies as well. And I do, I, I like what you said about, you know, your daughter and is she bossy or assertive? You know, I think we're coming a long way as an industry. We do still have a long way to go. I, you know, I go to the trailers and there are some trailers where they still want to work with Trevor. They're just not ready, you know, for a female to come in and look at plans and talk about an upcoming job, but at least we're making progress. So knowing you have three daughters is exciting to me. What's something we could do better as an industry? And again, we're making progress, but to make it a better place for your daughters. Well, I think one of the things that's kind of always seen as maybe a challenge with women is like what a career going to look like. You know, I think a lot of times men still feel like, well, they're going to start a family. And so how committed are they? Yeah. And I think that's sometimes this underlying, and I'm, I'm being super vulnerable here because I'm speaking out loud and, 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 and uh, you know, maybe I'm saying things that others wouldn't say, but <laughs> I, appreciate I think it. sometimes that's, that's this underlying fear is, well, are they committed? Are they just going to be a mom? And what does that look like? But, you know, most statistics show women don't usually leave the workforce. Do they need more flexibility? Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, The perspective that they give is worth that flexibility. Wow. Um, Like there's just, there's just seems to be this difference, right? Like between DNA and, how we see and look at things. And, um, you know, I'm just writing this down, Randy. I, I had to write that down because that is one of the most powerful statements of diversity that I've heard in my two to three years of being passionate about diversity is that the perspective that women bring to our industry is worth the flexibility 
And I think that's powerful because, you know, you brought up in your interview with Aaron, millennials are smart. They see shorter shifts in corporate America. They, and they, they gravitate towards that. And I think, you know, women are smart as well. And they, they understand the societal expectation to manage the household and the kids and the daycare drop-offs and all of that. And so they might not look at the construction industry and you just put it out there. The most powerful approach we can take is, is to be flexible and, and is construction shifts, you know, instead of the standard 10 to 12 hour expectation, are shifts worth talking about in the workforce development conversation so that more women and more millennials are are drawn to this industry. So thank you for being vulnerable because that was a very powerful statement in a vulnerable moment. I know I threw, threw you a curveball with that one. <laughs> you know, we use this, this thing called photoometry and construction. We take pictures to create topographies. Most people agree seven perspectives is what creates the most accurate, at least seven perspectives is what creates the most accurate image. And so what I tell people is in Arizona, we have cactus, right? And I imagine if you take a picture of a cactus from straight up or from just one side, you don't see the whole picture. Yeah. And so where diversity really gives us this advantage is just like in photometry, it gives us the whole picture and then it empowers us to make good decisions moving forward. Yeah. And so that's where I think having greater, greater amounts of women and all ethnicities really helps construction um, mature and be more innovative. Well, Randy, I want to, you know, kind of divert here. That was a great conversation about diversity. And I'm so thankful, you know, for the insight that you gave us. You know, I want to divert here to business growth because it's important, I think, as we are in a, what I would call unsure economy or or things are changing in the economy um, quickly with the shortage of materials and labor. You know, you kept the company afloat during an economic downturn and managed to, in six years, go from $12 million to $38 million company, which is astounding and, and just huge props to you and your teams. Walk us through that time period in the business and what challenges presented themselves and how you handled the challenges differently than others might have to make it through that recession. It was a really, really hard time. Uh, yeah. It was, it was hell. It was, it was, so anybody who went through that time will tell you it wasn't easy. And so when I talk about the things we did, just know it was hard. Yeah. I think one of the things that you should be doing right now, as you look into where is the economy going to be is, is looking at how do I make the business stronger? And so most contractors, I, you know, you have to be careful to paint with such a broad stroke, but I think most would agree that it's very common for prosperity to equal cars, boats, houses, those kinds of things, toys. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's an unsure time. So really taking the prosperity and investing in the business is important. Uh, I have this saying that is, take care of the business and then the business will take care of you, you know, make sure, make sure you're investing in the business and you're putting it before your own wants, not your own needs, but your own wants. And then later the business will be able to take care of you. We saw that in, in, you know, mine and my wife's life. We, we never, 
we never really took draws out of the business. Um, and we really just continued to invest into the company. And then by doing so, we had good people, we had processes, we had, you know, we had world-class job costing and accounting so that we were in a position that we knew our costs and we were able to drive a lot of profitability. Yeah. But even when it came time, what we had buyers looking to acquire us, they, they weren't scared of anything because everything was in order. And so we, we could show them it. So I'd say one of the things that I think happens is too often we don't know our costs. So use prosperity this year to go out and find somebody that can help you to create job costing, to make sure that you have some systems in place. So you really know what am I good at? Like if you don't have a hedgehog concept now, a big part of determining that is what drives your economic engine and you need yes. job costing to do that. Yeah. So invest in the business now, maybe hold off on that car or that razor or that boat and take those profits and say, let's go, let's go implement some more systems. Let's build some cash reserves. You know, how much does it cost for the business to run for three months? Most of us probably try to have some savings in our savings accounts. Does the business have something that it could run for three months in case, you know, people are paying, I think industry-wide are paying pretty quickly right now, but as things swing, usually that slows down a little bit. Yeah. Can you, can you afford to make payroll for four or five weeks and some, some equipment payments? So I'd say biggest thing right now is get strong right? Prepare for, you know, do we, do we, do we know it's going to be a downturn and how bad it's going to be? No, we don't. But every seven years on average, there's been a downturn. There's a standard deviation, meaning it, you know, that number of years that it takes for that downturn is like, I think standard deviations, three years. Don't hold me to that one. Meaning that it's usually within a seven to 10 year period or four to 10 year period that there's a downturn. We're due. Yeah, maybe, maybe overdue. So the, do I want to cast fear in everybody? No, but knowing that let's prepare for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're casting wisdom, you know, on you've been through that season and it's possible there could be another one, you know, how do we make better decisions as business owners, you know, and learn from, you know, someone like you who's gone before us. And I think you're hit, you're hitting a home run on, on a, frequent conversation between Trevor and I is, you know, I always want to invest in the family and, you know, let's do the cabin or the boat. And he's like, business, 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 all the cash back into the business. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as hard as that's been for me, I really learned that it's been valuable for us and to have cash reserves. And I don't think enough contractors are talking about having that conversation what are cash reserves? It's important before you build the lifestyle, you build the cash flow and the cash reserves. And it's not new, everything on site and in the garage, you know, it's, it's being slow and steady wins the race. So thank you for that. And I think you also said another good point um, earlier is invest in your people. And, and if you're, if you don't have a lot of profitability, how are you investing and your people talk about how you, you know, important that is to you at, at Blonde. Well, I think, it, you know, it looks different for everybody, but just like, there's a lot of little things you can do. Example, uh, 
twice a year we have a boot voucher, right? We make sure that all of our guys have a good pair of boots and that they have some type of um, protection. So, you know, we require it to be a hard toe and that doesn't have to necessarily be a still toe, but, you know, make sure they have that, the, the proper PPE, get them the right tools. You know, there, there's always this kind of, well, the, this tool costs this much money, but what you have to start thinking about is how much does my job site cost me if it's ineffective, right? And, and then start making business decisions based off that. You know, culturally, you still have to make sure your people are take care, taking care of their stuff and are being responsible, but get your people what they need, right? And that's one yeah. way you can invest in them is, is get them the right tools. Um, another way is take some time and mentor. So lots, lots of times, I think, this training program idea or, or, or investing in people is this, you know, elaborate program. For me, it's often very simple. Uh, we use Teams, uh, so Microsoft Teams for all of our projects. So there's chat going on for all of our projects. And if I see something come across there that I've, I've been through, I just grab all the project managers just really quickly and say, hey guys, 10 minutes conference room hey, I saw this is going on in this project. Let me share with you what happened when this exact same thing happened to me 10 years ago. This is what I did. This is how come I did it. I'm not saying that's how it has to be done this time, but here's perspective so that you guys can learn from the mistakes I made. Yeah. So just, just mentoring can be very informal and it can be easy. Just share some of the mistakes you've made and how you've learned from them. It does a few things. One, it hopefully helps them not make that mistake, but two, it also shows it's okay if you make mistakes in your organization, because that's how innovation is made. Um, and it's okay to be vulnerable and say, I made a mistake because that creates dialogue about how do we fix it? You know, we, we don't have to hide our mistakes. I think you're bringing up a huge point, not hiding your mistakes, finding mentors. And I know that's hard to find in this industry. And it sounds like you guys might, you know, be creating a solution over it. Buildwit, which is phenomenal, but we just started going to like the big excavation contractors in our area and just saying, we want to introduce ourselves. Here's who we are. If we can ever support you with the small stuff that you can't get to, whether it's demo. Um, and through that networking started meeting some of the decision makers and owners. And every time we've asked a question or asked, would you be willing to spend an hour with me, you know, just to mentor us, we're kind of stuck here or there. I have never met anyone that has told us no. And I think being brave to ask, you know, and in Instagram and social media, we're able to, you know, maybe meet non-competitors or, you know, there's so many excavation contractors out there. And, and a lot of these owners who have been in a position of leadership for so many years to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, they're willing to share. They're willing to spend that hour, you know, of, of, yeah, let me share my wisdom with you. I think the I think the great ones are for sure. There is, there is still protectionism yeah. in construction and, you know, will you be successful in doing that with a direct competitor? Probably not, no. but, I'm, <laughs> but, I'm with, but I'm with you. Like if you're aspiring to be somebody, most of those owners would share some time with you. And cause for me, it's like, there's a few competitors in our market who I just, it's not that big of a deal to lose a job to them. Right. Yeah. Like I, I respect them. I know that they're paying their people, right? I know that they're providing health insurance. I know that they're paying their taxes. And, yep. and it's like, if I lose to honest competition, so be it. 
the ones that hurt is when you get beat by somebody who you know is just not playing fair. And, yeah. And so I think a lot of us just want that. We want if hey, if you're going to be a competitor, let's let's at least make sure it's a fl- it's a fair playing field and that yes. you're treating people right and you're paying your taxes and that you're and following the environmental you know uh, compliance issues you need to. So I would agree. Generally speaking, people want to help. Yeah, and especially now that we can kind of cross reach across state lines, you know, thanks to the digital landscape and shows like Con Expo and you know, we went to several of the education sessions there and then went right up to the people after and said, Hey, can we ask you some questions? We're, we're really trying to get somewhere with our company and here's where we're stuck. Here's where we're not. So I think that's great. So one of the fun ways, I think this was a very valuable session and I'm going to take you up on your offer that if I read leadership and self-deception that we'll do a follow-up in a few months, a follow-up conversation on that book. Um, I think I was fascinated by the direction you wanted to go there. And I think our listeners will be left wanting to hear more from you just as a young leader and and all that you've accomplished. You know, it really means a lot to us to have a role model and someone to look up to. So thank you for sharing your time today. It was just so valuable. A lot of take homes, a lot of home runs. We like to end it with a rapid fire round. That's just a little fun way um, to end the conversation. And we're going to start that with what was your first job, which assuming it was the family business. No choice, huh? <laughs> no, actually my first job, I'm trying to get this in the right order. It was not the family business. Really? Yeah. I had two jobs before the family business. One was doing concrete for a friend's uh, family's business. I think my first job out of all things, and, and I'm going to have to explain it, but I delivered salt for a living. Oh, wow. um, in Phoenix, we have hard water. And so all the resorts here go through a lot of salt for their water. Oh, and so I worked for this company, great guy. He had this niche company and we would fill five gallon buckets with salt. And then we'd load up a truck and we'd deliver thousands of pounds of salt every day. Wow. As uh, <laughs> 17, I thought it was the best thing in the world because I got to work out at the same time as getting paid. So I was, I was, I was thinking it was really cool. <laughs> So, so from salt to cement to dirt, I like the transition. Yep. <laughs> what was your very first car? 1977 uh, Chevy pickup truck, long bed, unfortunately, because short beds cost too much. My dad gave it to me and then he gave me the motor that had to go in it. And he said, let me know what weekend you want to put it in and I'll help you do it. <laughs> so he was, he was one of those guys who just really wanted you to learn. And at at the time I thought it was so dumb and I couldn't believe my dad would give me a piece of junk truck without an engine in it. But now I look back and it's a very fond memory of my dad and how he could teach stuff like that. You know, I, I just, I know so much that I wouldn't have known if he hadn't been a real mentor. I love that. And, um, you tell me really quick, we'll interrupt the quick rapid fire on what's the number one lesson that you feel that you learned from your father he just sounds like such an amazing man that had a lot of influence in your life oh man that's a hard one the number I one know. i'm gonna give you two oh. so i'm gonna break the rules here i like it one have a good heart like you know we can all be rough around the edges and he was definite times but he had a good heart and 
you don't have to be religious to believe this. I think it's this, you know, there's just something in the world that being good comes back to you. So yeah. just, just, just be a good person, have a good heart. And two is he taught me that there's not that many people that are willing to work that hard and not give up. And so like, I just, you know, I'm not going to bet anybody on this, but I can work really hard and I know how mentally to push through really hard and tough things. Yeah. And that's, that comes from his example. And, and I just am extremely grateful for that. I wouldn't be in the position I was today if he didn't help me understand we are all capable of far more than we even understand. We limit ourselves when something gets hard saying we can't do it, but we can. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. And, and just a very, very important, you know, principle to carry from start to finish in your career construction is, is work ethic. And I think that's one of the things I loved about this industry. My previous career was in nonprofits and corporate and this industry is just full of heroes willing to work so hard. And, and that is a competitive advantage, no doubt. So I love, I love those principles and having a good heart to me is what's going to create the next gen of leaders. Um, so those are awesome principles from your dad. Thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't want to get through the episode and not, you know, have kind of some principles to pass down uh, to all the listeners from your father. So let's finish up the, the round. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? So I have an interesting opportunity. I'm getting to do both right now. Awesome. <laughs> uh, in that, yeah, I guess you're saying if I wasn't doing the podcast or if I wasn't doing construction. <laughs> you weren't doing construction. Okay. So I, I'm vice president of Blunt Contracting still, and I work with a great team of people, and I report to uh, my president at WW Clyde. Uh, and so I get to do construction, but they also are allowing me to be an advisor at BuildWit. And so um, I get to do both. And what, what I'm doing at, at BuildWit, what I just love there is I, I'm, like you, I'm trying to help this industry I love. Like it is an amazing, amazing industry. Yeah. We get to do some of the coolest things and we are the unsung heroes of America. Yes. There are so many people who turn on their light switch, turn on the water and have never once in their life thought about what if it doesn't work? Yep. And that's because of men and women all over the America doing this great thing. And I think we're realizing that we need to compete with other industries now. And so we need to mature and get better. And that's exciting because if we can, if we can fix the things that we have wrong on, you know, employee benefits and hours and, and some of those things, if we can fix those and still have all the camaraderie and pride in what we build, yeah, man, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing better. Yeah. There's nothing that can stop us from having the strongest workforce of any industry. What, you know, once they come to the other side, there's no turning back. <laughs> yeah. And so my hope and what I'm like, what I want to hear change is I don't want to hear the guy who's worked in the industry say, I don't want my son or daughter to work in construction. Like yeah. I want them to be excited about and, and really proud because there's so many people who, when they say that they do construction, there's like a little bit of shame in it. 
it's like they, they failed. That's not the case. If you're in construction, you are doing a service to all Americans. And I want people to be able to be proud of that. Yeah, I think you bring up such an important point. And that's why I love the work that um, Aaron is doing over at Build Wit. And I think it's amazing that you're supporting that vision is, is showing what construction really is. It's something to be so proud of and to not be ashamed that you're an, a driver or an operator or, you know, someone who builds the world that our community counts on every single day. So I, I love the work you guys are doing. And I think you bring up a great point. And I hope every listener leads this episode so proud of the work they do um, that society counts on every day. So if you could, who is one person you wish you could have dinner with? Man, that's a tough one. I think Brene Brown. Yeah. I think of Brene Brown because I think the insight she would provide is so different than all the other experiences I've had. And um, I don't know. I just love what she's doing on vulner- with vulnerability and yep. the change that she's making. It's, I think, think a lot of things that we need in construction. So I think Brene Brown. I'm glad you bring her up. She, her perspective would be so valuable to continue to bring into our industry. I, I'm not sure if you listened to her podcast with Jim Collins. That's where I first learned about the hedgehog concept. So I'm, I'm grateful you spoke about it today, but she's a good one. I like it. So the next question is, what is your dream piece of equipment? Um, and I, I absolutely adore your fleet and the cement gray that all your fleet is in. I've been trying to push Trevor to do that for a while. And you're an inspiration for sure. But what is a dream piece of equipment to paint gray that you don't have in your fleet yet? Most of the earth moving equipment, we have almost all of it's painted gray and it looks really good. There is some specialty shoring and drilling equipment that I would love to see gray. I would have to say Bauer, which makes drill rigs. Yep. I lo- would love one day to be in a position that we owned a BG 45 and it was painted gray. And I know that the broad majority of this uh, podcast may not even know what that machine is, but Google it. It, it weighs more than a D11 dozer. Wow. And it's, a, and it's a drill rig to give perspective and um, it's used for very specialized deep foundations. So I hope to be in a position one day that we own one of those and to see it gray. I love it. And what do you predict will be the biggest disruptor for your business in the next five years? So I get to work you know, in our division, but I also get to work with a much bigger company. And so we get to work on a lot of things within the business. Uh, I would say the person who can figure out, you know, we're starting to start to collect a lot of data in construction, but I don't think we've, as an industry, have done a lot of good with the data. I think the person who's able to bring all of this data collection that is starting to show up in construction and then apply it in a way that people in the field can make good decisions timely. Yeah. That's really going to be the game changer. And there's definitely people who are on track to do that, but I think that's going to be a significant change in instruction. I think that's great. Well, Randy, this was just full of, you know, nuggets again. And and I know you're, you're very busy and we really appreciate your time here. And we're excited to hear more about what's coming uh, this summer that you guys are working on to empower construction leaders And I look forward to our next episode where we're going to do, I think, a a special edition book club. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Uh, Thank thank you guys for including me. Um, I love this industry and, um, you know, just be glad to help any way I can. Awesome. And that's going to wrap up this edition of Con Expo Con Ag Radio. If you like the show and think other people should listen too, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. 
We'll be back next time with another great guest. Until that time, be sure to visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect for even more ways to connect with the industry.